listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, Lakers fans? Recording this just before the Lakers take on the Celtics. That's going to be a nationally televised game. We're going to jump into that a whole lot more. Before we do, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify. Doesn't matter where you get your fix. We're there. Also, check out silverscreenandroll.com. Harrison, Christian, Sabrina, always got you covered throughout the season for all your Lakers needs. Joining me for this one from ESPN, Om Youngbisuki. Om, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I didn't butcher the last name there, did I? No, no, okay. no, you did not. <laughs> Trust me, I've I've heard it butchered much worse. <laughs> well, it's funny. I used to work at you know my name's Jazz, and I used to work at uh, I used to work at a, a telecommunications company back home, and I would I would answer and and be like, oh, this is Jazz speaking, and the first thing I'd get is either Chad. Yeah. Chaz and I was just like you know what I'm not going to bother correcting them they can just they could just go ahead and uh and do that but like I mentioned this is going to be an ABC game uh Lakers Celtics obviously the best rivalry in the in the NBA um overall these two teams are now played 220 292 regular season games part of me tomorrow is going to be 293 Celtics have a 161 131 advantage but um looking at this game coming into it the Lakers coming off a pretty deflating loss, 107-92 to the Pistons on Thursday. Uh, they'd lost two two in a row for the first time all season. Again, it, it's funny. I'm like, I was looking on, on on Twitter last night, and I was I had to do a podcast after the game, but people are like, Frank Vogel should be fired. And Frank, yeah. and I'm like, what? And I'm like, you know, like, they've, this is the second. They're playing three games in four nights yesterday, and they're in the middle of a, of a, of a six-game road trip. Um, and now they're going to be playing three games in four nights again, when, when they take on Boston on Saturday. Uh, but when you're looking at this, did you have any cause for concern? Again, AD was out with a thigh contusion. I uh, don't know if he's going to be out long-term or not, but what were your, what was your takeaway from, from watching the, the Lakers lose the last couple of games of the first two times they've lost uh, road games all season? Laker fans need to take a step back and instead of being caught up in the day-to-day, and I know this is hard because they live and die with their team and they got their championship and they want more. They're greedy. I get it. But I think you need to take a step back and look at the big picture things and they're going to be fine. Okay. Number one, take a big breath. Number two, make sure that LeBron and AD make it through this season healthy. And, you know, I get it. It wasn't a pretty game. Uh, You don't want to lose the Detroit Pistons. But without Anthony Davis, um, and, you know, listen, this is kind of bound to happen. They were going to have a couple hiccups. But overall, in, in this season, which is unlike any other season, you have to be happy first and foremost if your team makes it not only out of a game healthy, but to the next game healthy, meaning with COVID protocols and all that. Um, I mean, look at their opponent they're about to face, the Boston Celtics, which got hit pretty hard. Um, having several guys out in the health and safety protocols. They're just getting Jason Tatum back. Um, Their season has kind of taken a turn for the worse a little bit here. And then maybe now they can kind of course correct and all that stuff. But I mean, listen, when the NBA started up again in in December, when we first got word that, you know, it was going to be a quick turnaround. I remember talking to someone from the Lakers and I said, how are you guys going to do this? How is LeBron James, who normally has an entire offseason and spends a million dollars to get his body ready, how is he going to turn around after winning a championship unlike any other we've ever seen in NBA history in a bubble, which was a grind, turn around and get ready in a month and a half or whatever it was? And the person I talked to said, look, you know, uh, it's going to be a lot of a lot of resting potentially and. It doesn't matter what seed the Lakers are going to be at the end of the year. 
as long as the, you know we make it to the playoffs healthy with LeBron and AD healthy, we'll be fine. It doesn't matter. And so at that point, my expectations were like, you know, maybe LeBron will be load managing a lot. Maybe AD will be load managing a lot. Certainly those two know and will ramp things up slowly. Um, and I got to say, at 14 and 6, uh, if you're a Laker fan, they obviously are really, really good. To me, it's still the best team in the NBA. But And it might not meet your expectations coming off a championship, but you should be happy at 14 and 6 because LeBron has played uh, and he has not really load managed. And yes, Anthony Davis is not quite himself yet. He's got to build his way back to that. But I think I'd be very happy with that because I, my – I don't know. I'm not saying that I thought they were going to be a worse team. I just thought there was the potential to have a worse record than 14 and six at this point, only because I thought they'd be resting their guys a lot more. They had some new pieces to figure into the mix. And also who knew what was going to happen with COVID. Yeah. And that, that was the big, that was the big outlier, right? Coming, coming into the season. I agree with you. We know when the NBA announced they're coming back because they don't have the, the luxury of the NFL where it's, Hey, we're playing once a week, uh, we can move games around. We're pretty much had empty stadiums uh, around the league. So they could be like, you know what? We're not going to play on Sunday. Let, let's play on Tuesday. Obviously we can't, you know, the NBA can't do that. We've seen several games postponed because they're playing multiple times a week. And you mentioned, you know, the Celtics had a bit of an outbreak. So you're, you're missing your best player. That's going to be expected. I think, you know, as we go through at least until the vaccine becomes uh, more prominent, you know, not just it, the NBA guys, they've said they're not going to skip the line. But once we once we do get to a point that, that the vaccine is, you know, they're able to get vaccinated, and I'm sure the league will will move in a way that when it's technically, you know, that that uh, demographic in terms of the age, their turn, the NBA will go to look to, to fix that. And then it's funny, you mentioned that too, because like against the Sixers, when they lost on Wednesday, and that was a close one as well, where, you know, they, they looked like they were out of gas, made a crazy run at the end to, to take the lead shortly before uh, Tobias Harris hit that shot at the end. But like LeBron played 39 minutes that game. And then I was looking at that on Thursday against the Pistons and he ended up playing, you know, 33 again. And, and I'm with you. Like, I think people it, it, just seeing some of the vitriol yesterday, like this was an embarrassing loss and whatever. I'm like, dude, they're playing three games in four nights. And, and I remember back in the, in the 1999, the lockout shortened season teams were playing three games in a row, like three consecutive nights. And they were getting killed and, you know, by like 30, 40 points on night three, because it's almost an impossible ask. So I do agree with you that this is going to be a, a season like no other, like we're, we're going to deal with this. And the Lakers have been lucky that they haven't really dealt with, with, uh, with the COVID stuff. But when, when you look at that, that lack of uh, quote unquote offseason, I know Marcus all didn't play as long as, as, as the, the rest of the Lakers did or the guys who were still currently on the roster. Cause you know, their team got bounced in the, uh, in the second round. But when, when you look at that and, and I know some people are like, you know, Gasol hasn't been a great fit. If you look at his underlying numbers, the team is much better with him in terms of their net rating with him on the court than they are with him off of it. Uh, do you think that's, is it just that Marcus all needs more time to work himself into shape? Or do you think that what we're seeing out of him is going to be similar to what kind of production you're going to get throughout the rest of the season? Um, I think come playoff time, he might, you know, have more of an impact, um, certainly because of his experience, his ability to kind of move the ball, his big body, uh, where he can move guys and kind of, you know, keep guys out of the paint a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know. The question to me come playoff time is, are they still going to get the defensive impact they had from say JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard combined together? And Dwight Howard obviously was great in that stretch toward the, you know, in the championship run. 
where is that going to come from? Um, Anthony Davis, obviously, we know how good defensively he is, but is Mark Gasol in his own way going to be able to kind of help defensively as well and kind of being that savvy, crafty veteran? Um, offensively, I think we'll see that he will help a little bit more as far as assists and his ability maybe to stretch the floor. Um, but I, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Like, you know, with Montrez Harrell, um, he's, you know, he's obviously a shorter big man. And last year in the playoffs was exposed a bit due to his height. Um, I, I like to remind people all the time, though, Montrez Harrell had a, a bad postseason but he also was grieving the loss of his best friend and his grandmother who helped raise him. And I don't think he ever really got over that. And so, you know, I think that that was a massive factor in the bubble. Um, but I think as far as Mark Gasol, I do think his impact will be a little greater in the playoffs. I do think as a veteran, he probably is pacing himself a little bit, but also he's had to work himself way. And he's also at, at this stage of his life in his career, you know, he's got a lot of, a lot of mileage there, but, I understand maybe the little concern here. I, I mean, it's, it is going to be interesting to see how these new pieces fit and what they do in the playoffs, because we saw what the old pieces that went out, the Rondos, the Dwight Howards, and even the JaVale McGee's did um, for them in that championship run. Like you mentioned, and it's interesting because you look at the focus of Rob Palenka and, and the Lakers brass, I think over, which includes LeBron James. Let's, let's not be, let's be honest. LeBron, I think pretty much well has to be in on, on most of the decisions they make with, with the player personnel. But um, when you look at the concerted effort that they made and, and, and credit to Palenka, he, he took a championship team. and didn't say, well, I'm going to hand out a bunch of uh, extensions and, and dole out money. Cause these guys got it done this one year. Like you mentioned, they cut bait with JaVale. They cut bait with Rondo. They did the same with, with Dwight Howard. And they brought in guys, like you mentioned, like Marcus all more up, side on the offensive end you're looking at Dennis Schroeder he's a, he's an offensive guy um Wesley Matthews kind of coming in I, I would say doing the Danny Green light yeah do you think ultimately that's gonna this is going to pay off for the Lakers because I do think I mean defensively they're still the best team in the league but offensively like they have looked discombobulated at points mind you they haven't played too tough of a schedule and I think that as we as we start ramping things up and 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 they're playing a little bit more uh, difficult opponents on uh, through stretches, not just one-offs. Uh, where do you think the one area that they need to, or like you mentioned, I, I'm in agreement with you that they are the best team in the league, but where is one avenue that they that you think they can look at that they need to work on in order to kind of maybe get the chemistry right on the offensive end? Uh, you know, like listen, the last two games have kind of been statistically rough for Montrez. And I thought when they picked up Trez and Dennis Schroeder, I thought they were really great pickups because, you know, listen, when we were heading into the season, we didn't know what to expect. There was a possibility, and there has been, as you've seen from other teams, that guys could be out for multiple games due to health and safety protocols and or even rest. And so when I looked at the Lakers and I said, they got the two top two guys in the six-man-of-the-year voting, and I said, these guys should be able to really help carry the load when Anthony Davis and or LeBron James is out resting or out due to injury or whatever. And so I thought that was really smart. And they've kind of had, they've been up and down a little bit. Um, you know, and I think, listen, it's, it's part of getting to know a new team, playing in a new system. Uh, it is not an easy adjustment when you're playing along with superstars, let alone LeBron James. We've seen that historically um, as good as LeBron is as a facilitator and making players better. Um, but, you know, like last night was probably a game where, where when Anthony Davis is out, you expect Montrez Harrell to kind of step in there and provide the energy and provide the points and the rebounds. D 
didn't quite happen. Um, and so look, they are coming they are at the end of a, you know, they are at a, in a long road trip. Uh, but I think that's where you want to see progress uh, is Schroeder and Harold getting more comfortable come playoff time though. I think this is going to be a big question mark is how, how they fit in, how they contribute. Obviously Rondo stepped this game up in such a big way. Schroeder is younger, more athletic, should be a better, obviously a better scorer and shooter. He's also good defensively. Um, but are we going to see him be able to rise in the playoffs the way Rondo did and provide, you know, really that veteran leadership and ability to rise to the moment. And as for Montrez Harrell, same thing. Is he going to be able to kind of do what he does in the playoffs when defense is locked down on you? You're going to face bigger guys inside the paint. Um, because last year against Jokic in that second round with the Clippers, Trez struggled big time. And so that's where I wonder, you know, first off, regular season, let's see them improve. Let's see them fit in chemistry-wise. Let's see them get comfortable in their roles. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, there have been moments, but I think we need to see a consistent stretch of it. And then come playoff time, we need to see how are they going to be able to do, are they going to be able to help the Lakers get back to the finals and win it all again? Yeah, because the, the pressure amplifies, you know, times 100 in, in the in the postseason where, you know, teams are specifically scouting for you and, and and you know, they're they're doing a lot more video work and picking up on your tendencies. And like you mentioned, we haven't seen, you know, Montrezl Harrell average 18, uh, or pardon me, I believe it was um, during the regular season last season, he was, he was, you know, he had a, he had a great year, like you mentioned, and, you know, he was yeah. dropping, um, you know, 18, I think, just over 18 points a game. And then, you know, he dropped by basically eight points a night in the playoffs. And then, like you mentioned, he struggled and, and that's a, it's a, it's a different beast altogether. I do want to jump into that, you know, talking about the postseason. We'll do that after a short break. All right. And we are back. Uh, oh, we we're talking about this before the break about the, the playoffs. And, and like you mentioned, you know, our, our guys like Schroeder, our guys like Montrez Harrell going to be able to get it done when the games count the most. And, and like I said, you know, we've mentioned before, uh, on the podcast to us, the Lakers are still the best team in the NBA and they're not going to be judged. You know, if they can, if they go 56 and 16, no one cares, right. They, they have to, they're well, they, except they're, for the diehard Laker fans. Yeah. Yeah. We're upset that they lost two in a row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they're going to, they're the ones who are going to be bragging. And then if they lost in the playoffs, all hell will break loose as well. But um, you're mentioning that like, okay, the, the Lakers, they're built for the playoffs. They got two of arguably the top five players in, in the NBA with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. When you look around, like we've seen Utah go on a 10-game win streak, uh, the Clippers, you know, after a little bit of a rough start, they've been missing Kawhi and and uh, and Paul George, and you mentioned they're going to be back. Um, when you're looking around just the Western Conference, other than maybe the Clippers, is there any team there that you think is going to be able to beat the Lakers, you know, if all things are equal in terms of health, uh, come time for the playoffs? Because the way I'm looking at it, I thought Denver would, would make a step. I also think that Denver is a very good team, but even at their best, they're a notch below the Lakers. Is there any other team that you look at that, okay, they, these guys could get rolling and, and give the Lakers a scare in the playoffs? Or, and do you think Utah is, is, is for real at this point? Uh, listen, Utah is playing really well. They're incredibly well-coached team. Um, they got veterans and a unit that plays well together. Obviously, I think uh, we saw there was a little rift uh, between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell due to the COVID thing. Um, but right now they're clicking on all cylinders and um, they're going to be a tough team to deal with um, in the playoffs again. I mean, last year they, they and the Nuggets went seven games in an unbelievable series. But I don't think at the end of the day they can challenge the Lakers. Um, it would, it would, if, if they were uh, outside of the Clippers and maybe the Nuggets, 
if the Lakers were to lose a series to any of these other teams, to me, it would be the loss is more on the Lakers than it is uh, crediting the team that beat them. I, I mean, I hate to say it. it. It would have to be that the Lakers just didn't play up to their potential or something was wrong, injuries or something like that, or they ran out of gas or something like that. Um, I think the, the Clippers are not – the Clippers are 14-5. and five. Um, They split these last two games without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they were on a seven game winning streak and I never felt that the Clippers played their best basketball. Um, they, they still had defensive lapses where they have not been the defensive team that many people think they can be. Um, and offensively as good as their passing was at times. And, and they were shooting a ridiculous percentage at one point, it was like over 80% they were hitting of their open threes. It was ridiculous. Um, they, they just, they weren't, they would go through stretches where they would just like have their offense go stagnant and they would blow like a 19 point lead and it would get down to like four and you know what I mean? And then finally they would pull it out. I don't think they've played their, their best basketball yet. Um, but I don't know. I, I still, I guess you, you know, when you watch the Clippers and Clipper fans will probably uh, agree with me on this. I think you still have some PTSD from the bubble because you look at the Clippers and you, it's kind of like, you know, Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? You still had that taste in your mouth of how they finished in the bubble and that collapse. And until they do it in the playoffs, um, it's hard to kind of really firmly believe that they are going to beat the Lakers and get to the finals. They have to prove it in the playoffs. There's no other way around it, no matter how good they do in the regular season and the Clippers know it. Yeah. And, that, and they, like you said, again, the Clippers could go 60 and 12 and, and everybody's like, man, they're, they're for real until they prove it in the playoffs. And that was a, a major choke job. Like you mentioned in the, uh, in the bubble against the Nuggets being up three, one, having a guy like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and you're coached by doc rivers. Like there's no way they should have lost that series, but obviously they did when you're watching the Clippers and, and you write about them as well for, for ESPN.com. And, and we were talking before, uh, we started rolling and, you know, you've been going to the home games and what are you noticing? Is there a big difference between how they played and how they were coached under doc compared to how they are with Ty Lue? There is so far. Um, you know, it's, it's strange of that to say, cause doc rivers will arguably be a hall of fame coach. Um, and he's a leader of men, but you can see like Ty Lue's offense, the ball is moving and rotating much better. Um, they have, second and third option so like when their first option goes away the second option the third option there's there's basically always something else that's going on when they're clicking um and that was a major problem i think in the bubble for the clippers was that there was just no adjustment when when something was taken away from them they didn't really have anything to go to outside of Kawhi pg bail us out and so i think this season you're seeing the passing is really good and it's not just like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George creating for one guy it's often the hockey assist where the next pass goes and finds the open guy and I think the chemistry is getting better I don't necessarily think uh you know Ty Lue has something to do with that but not all of it I just think it's a product of they've been together now for over a year uh mo the majority of them and I do think that the way things ended in a bubble has been a huge motivation factor for them to kind of just be like, okay, you know what? It's time to shut up. We got to do our thing. We got to prove people wrong. And I think Marcus Morris said this last night after um, the win. He basically was like, a lot of people jump ship after what happened in the bubble. And it's fine. It's expected. Uh, we didn't meet expectations. 
And so what we just have to do is we got to prove them wrong in the playoffs and then people will jump back on the ship. But it's been something that's fueled them. I got to ask you this. At what percentage would you give the Clippers and the Lakers, let's say each team, for there to win the Western Conference at this point right now? Um, What percentage you mean versus each other? Like just overall, like the Lakers have an X percent amount of a chance to win the West right now. The Clippers have a, you know what I mean? Like, would you give the Lakers a 50% chance and the Clippers a, a 50? What, like, how would you split that between the two teams? To win just a, to just get the number one seed? Or are you talking about getting to the NBA? No, finals? getting to the NBA finals, pardon me, not the one seed. Yeah. Uh, I would probably say it's probably somewhere in the 65% range for the Lakers, maybe 70%. That's pretty okay. That's pretty because I yeah I, I'm with you there too and, and and like and I really do believe the if the Lakers are healthy, who I don't see anybody being the man like you said like the the Clippers it, the way they are looking they are are looking different and because you mentioned that you know we saw the the heavy isolation ball work for the Raptors in in 2019 it was it was basically Kawhi get the ball at the top of the three point line and go to work and create. And we had, you know, guys like Fred Van Vliet hitting shots and that same system didn't work for the Clippers. And like you mentioned that in the Clippers games I've seen this year, they do look a lot better. They do look like they're a lot more fluid offensively, but again, until they get it done in the, in the playoffs, nobody's going to really care. And it's, they're always going to be, you know, little brother at ultimately. It's the same issue for the Clippers that I thought would be the issue last year, which was how would they, how would, if they were to face the Lakers in the playoffs, how did they defend Anthony Davis? And I think, you know, they have a new defensive, uh, you know, coordinator, basically, in Dan Craig, who they brought over from the Miami Heat. Um, and so, obviously, we saw what Anthony Davis did to the Miami Heat defense. So, of course, Miami Heat was banged up toward the end there. But, I mean, uh, Serge Ibaka has been a good addition for them. Um, they obviously have – they still have Avisa Zubats, and Nick Batum has been a really good addition for them. Mm-hmm. I think defensively, by the time they get to that point when they would face the Lakers in the playoffs – um, perhaps they will be better in a more cohesive unit. And, uh, but I, I am very curious to see how they will defend Anthony Davis if they would def- double team him or what have you, and then maybe just have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and rotate a bunch of guys on LeBron James. That might be their best way to do things. But again, Anthony Davis to me is always going to be the X factor over every other team in the Western Conference, as good as LeBron James has been and is still. Anthony Davis is the guy that carries them to that next level. Yeah, because he's kind of that like, and it's funny, you know, you've seen the game kind of develop and change. I remember, you know, in the in the 90s and 2000s, you know, when the games were, you know, 95, 90, and, and the shot clock was winding down every time and, and teams were using, like, each possession mattered so much. And and I was watching the the, the Warriors, um, Warriors-Suns game on, uh, on, on Thursday night, and it was like, it was a 10-point game, you know, with, uh, I think, maybe like three and a half, four minutes left. And then it was like, Oh, it's not over yet. And I was kind of, and I actually took me back to, I'm like in the nineties, if you're up 10 points with four minutes, it's over. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're yeah. not, you're not coming back. So I'll ask you this. Cause you've been around the league, you know, been doing it. Uh, you've mentioned, you know, you started off uh, with the nets in 2001 as, as a beat reporter. When you look at how much the game has changed and, and a guy like Anthony Davis that you're mentioning where, you know, the traditional seven foot one, seven foot two, you know, we don't have Greg Foster's and, and Adam Keefe's, you know, just kind of patrolling yeah. the paint and big country Reeves. Um, he's kind of this, this mix of, he's like the best big man you can have for today's version. Cause he could have played in the old days, but he's also, and that, that's where you're mentioning, like his skill set is, is so unique. Like there's, there's nobody that can really match up with him. When you look at that, do you think he's going to get to a point one day where he could be like, you know, when LeBron, whenever he does ride off into the sunset, which 
doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon with the way he's playing. Do you think Anthony Davis could be the best player on a championship team? Absolutely. Um, like, I mean, I think it, it could happen this season uh, where Anthony Davis is the best, best player on the Lakers championship team if they win. And the reason why I say that is because like last year, Anthony Davis won a championship, got a taste of it, knows what it takes now to win it all. And so for him, great players to take that next step and win multiple championships. Once you get your first and you know what it takes to win. And we saw that moment in those last like 30 seconds or a minute uh, of the final game in the finals where Anthony Davis kind of let everything soak in. He knows that feeling now. He knows what it takes to get to the top of the mountain. And that's why I believe that, yes, this season he has started off slow. He does not look like the Anthony Davis that we know, the dominant one. That's okay. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like, just make sure he's healthy come playoff time. But that's when I believe that come playoff time, if he can stay healthy, um, he's going to be that dominant Anthony Davis again because he knows now well, like how much more dominant he can be than other guys what happens when he is that dominant and how the Lakers can be unstoppable if he does that and that there's no answer to it. I mean, I was talking to uh, Eric Spolstra the other day on a zoom call and I was asking about Nikola Jokic. And I said, you know, I, I came up, I was a backup Knicks writer in the late nineties, uh, the New York daily news. So I, I was around a lot of those Knicks heat battles. And I asked Spo, could you imagine like, well, what's it like in all your years of being in the NBA to see a center who's like third in the league in assists has the, has the chance to lead the league in assists and just has like this incredible vision and passing the Jokic has. And he goes, well, it's funny tonight uh, as the heat nuggets play. And this was like two nights ago. He was like, you're going to see that both teams point guards are their centers, Nikola Jokic and bam out of bio. And we would have never seen that in the nineties. Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just how crazy the talent level is now. And the versatility, like, I still argue because I'm maybe I'm an old school guy and I know a lot of people might get on me for this. I think one through 12, like one through 12, your top player to your last player on the bench back in the nineties, the teams might've been uh, better from the standpoint that those guys that were on the bench, they usually had like a lot of those guys played three or four years in college. So by the time they were in the NBA, they were skilled. They were skilled players. Whereas a lot of NBA players today, while the players on the bench are young and they're maybe more athletic and more talented, they're not as skilled as like the skill level was back in the 90s from top to bottom. But the skill level now of the elite players, uh, you know, from maybe seven to one is better than it was in the 90s because these guys all can shoot. They can dribble. They can dunk. They can defend multiple positions. Um, while it might not have been as physical as it was in the nineties. And yeah, we would have to see how some of these guys would do against like a defense that could do whatever they want, hand checked and, you know, send you down to the ground. And what, what, what is today's flagrant fouls? What wasn't a flagrant foul back then? Oh, that no. would be interesting <laughs> yeah. to see, right? Yeah. But I would say like, the, the, like Anthony Davis, there was no, there was no like Nikola Jokic back in the nineties. There's no guy, you know, you might have like Vladi Divac who like could pass and things like that but not like what Jokic is doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what Anthony, Anthony Davis is like a guard. He's like a shooting guard, but in a seven foot body. And that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And then uh, I, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, a guy like Anthony Davis and, and just like a guy like LeBron James, they would have been good enough to play in those eras. And, and you're mentioning, you know, bench guys, like, I, I don't know, you know, how, how would a guy like, uh, um, 
what was the guy's name again uh, last year? Quinn Cook. Like, Quinn, would Quinn Cook be around on on uh, a '96 Bulls team? No, probably yeah. not. You know, they're they're going to be happy going with Judd Bushler because he knows his role. He's going to stand in the corner. He's going to shoot threes and, and play good defense. And I do agree with you, like how the game has changed. There are certain guys who transcend the generations. Obviously, we know who they are. But like you like you said, like we don't we haven't seen unicorns that are seven feet tall going out to the three point line and you're being able to legitimately run the offense through them. Not just saying go on the block. And go to work you're saying hey you know what you're going to be at the high post and we're going to run the ball through you so it has been it has been cool to see i do want to ask you this as well though where what was more like for me and it's funny you said that people might get on you for saying that because i almost like like you know watching the last dance over over the summer of 2020 um just seeing those games and like every single time the 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 intensity and the emotion of each possession <laughs> to me that was more fun to watch like just yeah. to, like at the especially at the end of a game now it's like uh, the game is 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 played I, I would say in a more uh beautiful manner like in the sense that yes. it's ball sharing and movement and you're seeing kind of a cohesiveness whereas back then it was you know, let's set up uh, basically a, a triangle on, on one side, have two guys, you know, one guy in the far corner, one guy in the far, you know, 45 angle, you know, put, put out the three-point line and that was it. But do you prefer watching the NBA today? Like, it, let, let, I'm just doing a hypothetical question. If you had a choice between watching a 1996 or 97, 98 finals game versus a, a 2018 or 19 or 20 finals game, what would you choose? Oh, that's so hard. Uh, because it, this is, this is maybe the, the, the best way I can equate it to for those who didn't get to watch 90s basketball. And like people, my friends kill me because they're just like, how could you like the blood ball between the Knicks and the Heat? And I would always say, back then, every playoff game felt like a college rivalry game. Mm -hmm. They didn't like each other. And there was emotion involved. And the scores were in the 80s and the 70s or whatever it was in the 90s. But down to the last five minutes, you knew every possession mattered and they were fighting for every possession. Today's basketball is beautiful to watch, fun to watch. And when there's a really good game, it's crazy because you're just going back and forth and delivering punch after punch, blow after blow, scoring, 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 scoring. Back then though, the premium was defensive stops. And so like, basically you would see stop after stop after stop after stop, unless you were dealing with Michael Jordan or like an all time great. But every game back then, had emotion to it and rivalry and anger and hatred. And it felt like you were playing, you know, your, your most hated college rival in a seven game series. You don't get that today. Um, and it, you know, these guys today, they're, they're more friendly with each other. They like each other. I mean, like you would go through a seven game series and you would hate that other team. If you were a fan of one team back in the nineties and you would see basically fights break out all the time and, you know, and I, th I think there's something to be said. I, I don't know. I kind of like that. Look, I, I went to Michigan State, and I love college sports, uh, Michigan State basketball and football, mostly because I hate the University of Michigan so much, and I hate my rivals, and I don't think there's enough of that in today's NBA, if you ask me. Oh, I, I'm I'm with you, and like I said, I mean, I was I was born in the in the '80s, and and you know, I was in my teens, going going through the '90s. But I love those, and and you'll remember, we sound like two resident old guys, by the way. But that's totally <laughs> fine. But um, I no, love listen. To, I, I have one more thing to say about this. Like yeah, like back in the day, with the the natural order of progression for a superstar was you had to go through a certain team and a certain dynasty and lose multiple times in the playoffs until you finally got over the hump. 
And in order, when you're a fan of a team and you're, you've gone through all those things and you finally see your team get over the hump, like the Chicago bulls. And I don't know if the last dance really conveyed this the way it was. Cause I lived through it, but like Michael Jordan, for him to get through the Detroit Pistons, I felt they didn't do that whole part of the last dance enough justice because the Detroit Pistons really beat down Michael Jordan for years. And it wasn't just a basketball thing. It was like they were out to destroy Michael Jordan every time they played against him. And so when the Bulls finally got over the hump and the Pistons refused to shake their hands, and as bitter as that moment was, uh, for Bulls fans, it was a sweet moment as well because it was like you finally vanquished your most hated rival that you had been trying to get past for three or four or five years, really, and saw them beat down your superstar over and over again and Scottie Pippen too. There's, there's nothing like that in today's game anymore. Yeah, we saw, the, we saw the Warriors and the Cavs go at it for several years, but today there's, the guys switch teams so much that there's no real rivalry like that anymore. And that's why it's kind of great to see the Lakers and Celtics play, and that will always be a rivalry. But there's, it's never going to be anything like that that there was in the 80s and 90s again, whether it was Pistons, Celtics, Celtics, Lakers, or Bulls, Pistons, Knicks, Bulls, we're just, Knicks, Heat. We're just not going to see that again. Yeah, and, and it's funny you're mentioning. You know, we mentioned those teams. It's like I, I look back at it, and you remember like the NBA on NBC, those triple headers, right? Like yeah, you start off yeah. with, you know, you start off with Knicks Pacers, and <laughs> it was like it was must watch TV, and then you'd get the Bulls and the and the Bulls and the Heat, even you know, in the in the, the afternoon game, and then the late game was the Sonics and the Rockets, and all these teams just hated each other, like you mentioned. <laughs> and it was to me, I like I, I I do enjoy the basketball now, and I think it's played, um, like I mentioned, in in, in just a more uh, pleasing to the eye way like you know where everybody's kind of getting involved and you're getting guys um you know like contavious caldwell pope he wasn't going to be scoring in double figures in the 90s you know what i mean it's he's able yeah. to do that because the the, the ball's being shared more but i agree with you i, I, do, Although I do feel contavious caldwell pope would have been a great nick or a great heat oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that would have been fun yeah that would that would have been fun to watch but i mean i i just feel that the, the like you mentioned the intensity and that natural hate that comes not just between the fan bases, but between the players is what makes uh, what's, what makes rivalries great. And I don't think we're going to see that, at least in the short term, in the NBA. I do want to wrap up with this. And, and I had mentioned before, and we were talking about a bit uh, before we went, went live, is, um, you know, covering the league, being in empty stadiums, being at Staples Center without anybody there. What has that been like for you as a longtime journalist and, and, and a guy who's been around the league, like I mentioned, for, for 20 some odd years? What has it been like for you, just the experience of covering the NBA um, without really anybody there to watch it? It's really strange. I mean, normally where we sit in Staples Center, we sit down on the floor. And, and as good of a seat as it is, sometimes you actually have trouble seeing the court or seeing the bench because there are fans kind of like in front of you. And so like now we sit up higher, like above the 100 level. And it's, the you know, great seats, amazing seats. But like I use my binoculars sometimes to like watch and see what's going on on the bench uh, to see behaviors and guys interacting and things like that. And there's no fans to block me or anything like that. No fans in the building at all, barely any media. It's probably like maybe 30 media members at most. Um, and then there's like Staples employees, but roaming around here and there. Uh, but other than that, it's like a completely empty Staples Center. Everything else feels the same. Like the music's on loud all the time, the lights and everything like that. But it's really... 
it's really kind of just weird and sad that there are no fans in the building, no buzz. And, um, you know, but yet at the same time, you're in there and it's not like you're letting your guard down. You still feel, at least I do, you know, you're conscious, conscientious of the virus and making sure that, you know, like I double mask everywhere I go or like, you know, I, I keep my distance from anybody. And like, you know, where the media says we have our own table to each person, a table that normally might fit maybe two or three writers on one table, we'll get our own, you know, mm-hmm. but like, so, but still, I mean, like, you know, it's, you're the era we're in now it's like you still try to be careful and you're reminded of it as soon as you walked in the staples because nobody's there everybody's wearing masks you know we're not allowed to even bring food food or water into the arena like when we do go drink water or eat you have to go outside to where the statues are in front of staples center oh man They, they have like a gated area around it and so you can take off your mask and drink you cannot like be in the arena and have food or drink at all. So like I drink one bottle of water, like, like I go in, uh, I do our pregame Zooms and everything, right? Uh, and then like, when I go to eat, I eat out there, I have one bottle of water and that's like it for like, you know, whatever it is, six hours or something like that. Um, and it's fine though, you know, cause it's like, uh, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to be able to watch basketball. I'm just happy the league's going on and hopefully the rest of the world and the rest of the country we'll get rid of this virus and, you know, we can get back to living our normal lives again. I don't know how normal is going to be to me. It feels like it's going to be one of those things like after nine 11, where our lives change a certain bit uh, where we get, just have to get adjusted to something that we never did before, you know, Um, whether that's wearing masks or whatever, purelling our hands, 24 seven, washing our hands. I don't know, whatever. Um, uh, But it's fine. You know, hopefully one day soon, We'll be back in the arena all again with fans there. And it's, you know, I look up to the, sometimes when the Clippers change after games, immediately they'll change the floor or whatever. And they'll start to like, you know, the banners, the Laker banners are covered during Clipper games. And, mm-hmm. but then when they change over, I'll, I'll look up and the Laker banners will be uncovered, you know, and I still see that one where the, the new championship banner is. And it's like, you know, we're waiting for you fans. There's like a message on there. You know, and it's like, I, I, I can't wait. So the Laker fans are back in the building and we can see that banner come down. Oh, it's funny. The, the one thing I miss about being at Staples Center is the soft serve ice cream in the media, yeah. <laughs> in the media room. Oh, you so know, I, yeah. I've actually wondered about that, Jazz. I, I talked about to the Kamenetsky brothers about this on their show, I think a couple weeks ago, because, you know, you know, in that media room for fans that don't know, there is basically a media dining room mm-hmm. and, you know, you get your food there and there's an ice cream soft serve machine. And I was thinking about this. I was asking him, I was like, is the ice cream soft serve machine going to be back in the new world when we get back there? Because, you know, we're probably going to see buffets go away. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I, I just don't know how you can do that and stay healthy and stay clean anymore, sharing utensils with everybody in what used to be a buffet. Um, even if we get the vaccination or whatever, I just don't know. You know, I don't know how buffets are going to survive. And I don't know if that ice cream machine is going to survive. Oh, that, that, that would be the, the worst news about us getting back to normal and every, you know, everybody's healthy again. And, and, you know, the hospitals, I mean, it might survive survive where somebody serves you the ice cream as opposed to you going and serving yourself probably. Well, I'm going to find out if we can make a, we we should pull together some money and make a bid on that. And then if we, if we have to buy that ice cream machine for ourselves and take it, because I love that was one of the highlights of me going to covers Lakers games and Clippers games was, was getting that ice cream. Uh, I'll wrap up with you on, uh, on this one. I'm like, like you mentioned, we're talking about it. Um, the vaccine and, and it's just been a crazy time. And it's funny at any point that I felt like, you know, personally that, man, this is getting, this is getting tough. And I'm like, 
well, dude, everybody's going through it. Not just everybody in America, in North America, across the globe is, is kind of going through this. But do you anticipate at all that we are going to have, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a hundred percent, but maybe even 50% capacity throughout the playoffs at some point in NBA arenas, or is this just going to be the norm for the rest of the season? At this point, I would be surprised if we had 50% capacity come playoff time. My hope was that um, when the season started and certainly the NBA's hope. And I think maybe like with the vaccine, perhaps, you know, there will be fans in buildings come playoff time, but I'd just be surprised if it was 50% in that building, uh, in every building. Um, maybe perhaps it'll be different for city to city like it is now, you know, mm -hmm. maybe the cities who have fans now will have even more fans. And then a place like Los Angeles, maybe would you have a few fans like it is kind of like currently in some other cities, but um, I don't know. I guess I would just be a little surprised if there were fans in the building come playoff time. Maybe that's just because I'm getting used to being very cautious right now and used to kind of like the way things are. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And again, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I just think it's something and that, that we're just going to have to deal with. And I think in a, on the positive note of all that, um, I don't know how positive you could be, you know, when there's roughly half a million people dead in the, in the country, but I think the positive is there is an end in sight. And, and, you know, we don't know, and it, like you mentioned, we don't know what life is going to be like when, when, when things, you know, everybody is vaccinated and we get towards probably the fall and, and, and the end of the year, but ho hopefully, you know, we, we are able to, to get back to a point um, where things are resembling somewhat what they were uh, prior to the pandemic. Om, thanks a lot for, for taking the time out to do this, man. I, it, was, it was great talking to you and I appreciated having you on. Thank you very much for having me. All right, that's uh, Om Young Misuk. You can catch him on ESPN.com covering Lakers, Clippers, writing about pretty much all, anything NBA related and follow him on Twitter as well at Notorious Om. That's O-H-M. And don't forget while you're at it as well, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your fix and check us out on SilverScreenandRoll.com. Just a reminder, Lakers Celtics coming up on Saturday. It's a nationally televised game, uh, 5.30. You can watch that one Pacific time on ABC. That does it for this episode. I'll catch you all again next time.